0: Hey everybody, this is Tommy Miller. I'm the senior pastor at Legacy Church. We're really excited that you decided to join our podcast this morning. Our intention is to give you the information and the resources that you need to bring heaven to earth by walking in the fullness of your identity and your destiny. Enjoy the sermon, enjoy your day, be blessed and do what Jesus did. I want to recognize a few folks before I jump into the word. Um, first, did you guys notice a, an extra body up here on the worship stage this morning? So, Miss Miss Becca Stoneman, would you stand? She's uh, <laughs> she's the the latest official addition to the Legacy Worship team. As uh, as you can tell, she's a tremendous keyboard player. And, uh, and more importantly than that, we always say that, that people need character, competency, and chemistry. And chemistry's first. We want people that have a heart for worship and have a heart for excellence. You can't train those into somebody. You can teach somebody to play piano, but you can't teach them to love Jesus. So first and foremost, she's an incredible worshiper. And um, the excellence that she's displayed through her audition process and preparation has been uh, riveting. It's been fantastic. Uh, But we wanted to officially welcome her, and congratulate you for being amazing, and, and thanks for being part of our family. Second, we just got a text message from our friend Juanetta in Arizona. So we have family all over the world. We should turn and say hi to them. I don't know what camera's on me right now, but yeah amazing to see everybody um second i want to recognize this is really difficult because these people work so behind the scenes that i always forget somebody but i'm going to uh, acknowledge their ringleader and then i'm going to acknowledge their let their ringleader acknowledge the rest of the team so keith and brooke would you guys stand (laughs) so keith keith and brooke yeah let's i like this yeah (laughs) Keith Keith and Brooke have literally been with us since before the beginning. Um, I've I've told this story before the the police officer, it was Jeff, came to our house and he said, hey, another normal family moved into Port Washington, like there was only two of them. (laughs) And he thought we were the other one, which was really strange, but he he was desperately wrong in his discernment, but we did become friends. Um, And they sent their son, Clay, over to uh, our youth group, and then we became friends, we became close, and then literally from day one, uh, they've been laboring like crazy. What they do, Keith is our facilities director, Brooke is the hospitality coordinator, and they both uh, direct our rentals, so people rent this facility for for weddings and parties and stuff like that. But um, I, I don't know how to put into words what they do because there's no instruction booklet for it. Keith and Brooke are the keepers of Solomon's temple. And and when they see something that doesn't look like it's glorifying the nature of God, Keith calls me, and, and here's another thing, they're extremely resourceful. I've never seen a couple more resourceful than these folks are. Um, they turn $10,000 repairs into $2,500 repairs and, and somehow make it better than if we were to spend $10,000 on it. But what most of us don't know is, is I've seen Keith's truck in here more days throughout the week than I haven't. And he's here um, putting up lights, and he's here patching holes in the, the parking lot and filling the baptistry before you get in it on Sunday morning. And what they do is never seen. And it is, it is my goal to let people know what true servanthood looks like. And, and that's it. So... Here, here as of late What they've been doing requires a whole lot of extra hands So <laughs> I offered to buy them lunch the other day And they, they said yeah you, you can But we really enjoy being together So after church like 15 or 20 of them have been hanging out and working Putting up lights By the way we're getting new lights in the parking lot Yeah But uh, I don't know Keith would you, Could you guys kind of acknowledge Who's been hanging out with you guys Doing these things throughout the week Here, here! Do this, do this. We want the people online to
1: know too. Awesome! Thank you, everybody. Um, it's actually, uh, it's a pleasure and it's uh, it's just wonderful to be in our own building. Right. I mean, we've been praying and working towards this forever. Um, but I have to say a huge thank you to uh, Chris and Mandy Porter. Right? Amen. Every step of the way, everything we ever need. Uh, Chris and Mandy started to have their own company, Porter Network Cabling, and they put in a tremendous amount of hours during the week getting this business up and running, but yet always available to show up. Um, it doesn't matter if it's 9 o'clock at night they come in. Um, so huge, huge thank you to you guys. Love you so much. Amen. Um, Brian Thaxton family, um, Sundays, Sundays after church, hours upon hours. Chasing wires, chasing electrical issues. Uh, I can't even tell you the stories. Um, uh, Alex, if he's here today, I haven't seen him. I'm a tremendous help, great electrician, um, helping us get everything lit up around here. Um, people are going to know where Legacy Church is. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be a bright, bright, bright spot in Tuscross County. Um, and James, working on security. Uh, crawling through attics, crawling through dirt, dust, chasing down wires—I mean, it's just, it's just tremendous. And everybody gives not for any type of recognition, just because they love all of you guys. We're all family, and uh, we're here just to to make God's God's house shine. So Amen. I appreciate everything. I'm sure Brooke would like to thank some of her greeters and housekeeping. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we have a tremendous greeting team. You guys see their smiling faces every Sunday, and uh, it's it's not a, a job that is for recognition. It's just because they truly love all their family here, love everybody, and want to welcome them in to family. So, appreciate it. Thank you all so much. Love you guys. Thanks, Riddles.
0: All right, um, I I hear stories, and I. The, the next series that we do is going to be called Rechurched, and it's, it's understanding God's fundamental idea for the local body. And one of, one of the things that <laughs> that is true about church, and I'm going to kind of shoot myself in the foot by saying this, is everything that you create a program for creates a counterfeit of what heaven desires to be authentic. Does that make sense? So every time I say something like this, we end up getting like a correction from heaven, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. We don't have a small group ministry. The reason we don't have a small group ministry is because that that community, small community, should be the natural byproduct of being Christ-like. Right? People often say, like, what small group can I join? And the response is, be relationally mature and make a friend. (laughs) You know? (laughs) What I'm saying is that n- no program that, could, that we could ever create produces what these people get to experience, and they don't know the stories that I hear. I do know that Chris Porter uh, got called out kind of on a midnight call, and he was, he was by himself, and he was crawling through attics with flashlights, and lo and behold, he sees another flashlight and tool belt show up at like 10.30 at night, and uh, it wasn't, I mean, it was for, for, for Chris. It wasn't a church job. They were just friends, and Keith showed up brought him coffee, and just said, hey, what can I do to help? And uh, those things can't be produced by forcing it through programs. Those, those kind of relationships take effort. They take mutual covenant commitment. And, uh, and it's way better than, uh, than us assigning you a group of like-minded and demographic-related people that you can meet with every other week. Um, but I highly recommend that you make friends. And uh, And the intention of heaven is that we would be a a strong-bonded community where out of the many, we build small little macrocosms of heaven that involve some very tight-knit friendships like they get to display. Amen? All right. You guys good this morning? Are you guys enjoying the perfect and lacking nothing series? All right, we're at week six. Week six is entitled Godliness. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this this Sunday morning. Thank you that we do own this building. We thank you that that mortgage will be paid off in the blink of an eye. I thank you that the resources that you plan on sending to New Philadelphia are unrivaled. We haven't seen as many resources in its history as we will in its immediate future. Father, right now we pray for the outreach that's looming in New Philadelphia. Everybody knows, everybody's talking about it, Father, and we know that your spirit is hovering over it, ready to create something amazing. We ask that you just use us to be a part of that, Father, that we cancel our schedules, that we, we set our agendas aside, that we love people endlessly, and we bring life to the lifeless, hope to the hopeless, and fathers to the fatherless. Father, I ask right now that this place be a manifestation of the open heaven that you've given us. Angels would come and minister. Sicknesses would be healed. Dead places would be brought to life. Father, I ask if there's anybody in here that is having difficulty or watching having difficulty conceiving children, that you open the door for that to happen for them. That you heal everybody from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys ready? Okay, so the method that we've been working through for the last six weeks is I give you a little bit of theology regarding union, and then we jump into this passage in Second Peter chapter 1. What I want to talk to you today is, is actually something quite different. It's called hypostatic union. Hypostatic union is the ability for two things to be one and distinct at the same time. The reason lots of people have a difficulty with religion or a difficulty with Christianity in general is because they don't understand how the three can be one, but the one can be simultaneously three, and nobody gets confused. You guys following me? This is wildly important. Let me explain why. Every single human being in here has the same destiny. And every single human being in here has a different destiny. And that can be simultaneously true since we have understanding of hypostatic union, the ability for two things to be one yet distinct at the same time. You're like, wow, this sounds like a real like <laughs> uh, grass grower, paint dryer, whatever. <clears throat> Here's the deal. The Bible says that our intention, the intention of you coming to this church, there is one reason that you come here. And it's to be brought to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Every single one of us is being birthed into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But the intention is that each one of us would remain a unique expression of Christ that allows a unique aspect of Christ to manifest specifically in us. Our identities are like a fingerprint. No two are alike, but they're all the same. You okay with that? So just like everything in the kingdom... We have to be able to gain revelation of the fullness and not just an aspect of these kind of monumental truths. Because in union, check this out, which we've been talking about every week for five weeks, there's equality. In my opinion, Christians are very good at being different than God. Christians are not very good at being equal with God. Paul in Philippians 4, he said, I've learned to be abased and I've learned to abound. How many of you think you have learned to abound? How many of you believe that you've learned to be millionaires? How many believe that you've learned to walk in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and not trip up? But there's this strange dichotomy to this relationship where union and equality can exist simultaneously. Listen, with intimacy and worship. One of the difficulties that that the, the new creation community is having is the ability to reconcile these two things to be true at the same time. In in the circles that I'm that I'm internationally involved in, I hear some of the dumbest sayings that you could ever imagine coming out of a Christian's mouth. And they, they sound something like this. Have you ever heard that, like, because the two became one, right? That's true, right? Second Corinthians says, Because you believed on the Lord, the two became one spirit. Right? That's union. Because of that. I hear Newton, new creation teachers saying that I'll never worship anything other than myself. Right? Tremendous revelation of union, horrible understanding of distinction. Right? That's like being married and saying, now because I'm one with my wife, I'll never worship anyone but myself. <laughs> The two become one, but the two remain distinct. And because they're distinct, now there's an intimate relationship of affection that can go back and forth between the two, right? We can look at the example of the father and son as a perfect, perfect uh, expression of what this looks like, right? The father commands the son, but the son and the father are one, and they're simultaneously equal. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing, and I only say what I hear my father saying. He said, I can do nothing of my own. God said, I can do nothing of my own, because God is dependent on God, because God understands that the two are simultaneously in union, yet simultaneously distinct. So our understanding of union, our understanding of our equality with God, and if you don't like that phrase, I'll I'll give you the, the, the context. It says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus that did not counter robbery to be called equal with God, right? So if your union produces arrogance instead of intimacy, then you just don't get it yet. Because while being distinct, you become the bride of a tremendous bridegroom. You become a son of an incredible father. You become a king under the lordship of the king of kings. The two are one, but the distinction creates intimacy. Get it? So finding how to navigate union on earth, right? You you are literally God's representation on earth. What creation experiences when it encounters you should be the Father. If creation comes to you and says, Show us the Father, and it'll be sufficient for us, just like they did to, to Jesus, you should be able to say, If you've seen me, you've seen him. Make sense? Sometimes when we start delving too far into this revelation, and please don't lose this revelation, you have to keep this revelation. But with this revelation, you have to have a healthy understanding of distinction. The two are one, but the two are distinct. And because the two are one, they have equal, co-equal authority, power, and value. But because they're distinct, they're able to enter into a romance together. Get it? You sure? Are you sure? Because there's a lot of this. (laughs) Union should never puff you up. right? Equality should never bring you to a place of arrogance. Equality should bring you to a place of intimacy. And if equality causes you to lose your heart for worship, then you misunderstood it. Equality should be the avenue through which you enter into reverence. You get it? Mm -hmm. You want some marriage advice? Because when Paul's talking about hypostatic union in Ephesians 5, he's using the example of a bride and a a groom. But at the end, he said, I'm not talking to you about marriage. I'm talking to you about Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. If you need rules in your marriage, those are areas that you're not in love. And if you're willing to do something to your partner that offends their heart, and they have to place a rule there, that's an area that you're not expressing love. Rules are how to be in a relationship when you're not in love. The day that I have to make a rule in my house that my wife's not allowed to cheat on me, something's very, very wrong, right? That shouldn't be a conversation amidst two people that are one, yet intimately distinct. Rules are what cost you intimacy and union. The moment that you think you have to follow a rule to gain approval, you're confessing separation. You get it so because you're already one because you're already approved of there should be a natural organic transformation of the intimacy and actions that you you literally manifest in your relationship with god Pe- people now use the term greasy grace right you've heard that before I don't like the term because it's usually used by legalists to get rid of grace. But the reality is there's, there's a theological understanding that it is goodness, kindness, and long-suffering that leads to repentance. My wife, she texts me dad jokes in the middle of my sermon sometimes. it's tough (laughs) they're sermon related believe it or not thanks babe if your union doesn't lead to intimacy then you don't understand it okay it's goodness kindness and long-suffering that leads to repentance how many of you have ever had somebody change their behaviors when you judge them if you have it's it's momentary behavior modification And then it immediately changes. But what happens in the kingdom is goodness, kindness, and long-suffering is the avenue through which somebody enters into union. And when they enter into union, then the distinction is where they display intimacy and reverence. There was this this moment between the Old Testament and the New Testament where where a definition changed. As a matter of fact, you you really should watch out for this because oftentimes a, a Hebrew word in the Old Testament is translated to an English word that fits the context of the Old Testament. The problem is, is that in the Greek language, there is a completely different philosophy behind the Greek language and the Greek understanding, but we don't have enough English words to translate these things to. The English word fear, for example, right in the Old Testament, it commanded you to fear the Lord. In the New Testament, it rebukes you for fearing him the way that he was feared in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the word fear meant trembling and dreadful admonishment. In the New Testament, it means love, awe, and reverence. The reason that there was a transformation of the way that word is interpreted is because the relationship with God changed in the covenant that he was in so it will cost you everything hear me out if you fear god according to the old testament under the new covenant you'll lose everything Mm -hmm. but the new covenant will cause you to fear god but not like it was in the old testament it'll cause reverence Reverence is an amazing word. It's one that that has been completely baptized and Christianized to mean bad things. But the word reverence means that your attitudes, actions, and thoughts would organically change in the light of love. Make sense? That's reverence. right? I'm desperately in love with my wife. I don't want to offend her. She has no rules for me. But I don't want to hurt her heart because I know her heart she and I are one I forget what happened we were in the living room the other day and she looked up like this and I went I already took care of it she goes okay and then looked back down you ever spend enough time with somebody that you can have conversations by doing this like it's a full conversation the two are one we don't even have to speak anymore We don't have to set rules for one another because it's not her rules that keep me from offending her heart. It's love. And that's reverence. Reverence isn't present in every relationship. Reverence is present in relationships that are based on love and not law. Reverence produces more than any law could ever demand. Get it? So what I I want us to hear... Is we teach on union a lot because union's not being taught on. But I don't want us to lose the value of distinction in light of union. If you lose distinction, you lose intimacy and worship. If you lose union, you lose authority and dominion. You have to have authority and dominion with that's that's completely and fully entangled and commingled with intimacy and worship. Does it make sense? Two or one, the one or two and it's not difficult you don't need a better definition than that some people try to to like step into like quantum physics to help understand that just drop it like the two are one and the one are two he said it that's enough if you lose union you lose your identity completely because it's in him if you lose distinction you lose intimacy and worship have I said that yet? Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. The title of this one is godliness. Oddly enough, godliness is is the same word, Eusebia, that we translate into the English word fear. Fear and godliness are the same principle. Say amen when you're there. I'm going to read it twice. I'm going to read it in the New King James Version, then I'm going to read it out of the mirror translation. I haven't done this for you yet. I've been trying to kind of spin this diamond one angle every week so we get something new out of it second peter chapter one verse one says simon peter a bond servant an apostle of jesus christ to those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our god and savior jesus christ grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of god and of jesus our lord as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these things we may become partakers of the divine nature. Every week so far we've stopped to meditate, kind of chat about what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature. Religion makes you an observer or a beholder of the divine nature. The kingdom makes you a partaker. Do you understand the difference? You can behold cheesecake. Cheesecake. Or you can partake and in only one of those would you leave satisfied get it you're not intended to be a beholder of the divine nature you're intended to be a partaker which means that it benefits you it's exemplified in you his is yours right Having escaped the corruption in this world through lust, but also for this very reason, give all diligence to add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. If these things are yours and abound, you'll never be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. Therefore, brethren, let even be more even diligent. To make your call and election sure for these things, if these things, excuse me, if you do these things, you will never stumble and an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into an everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, can I read a different translation to you? Okay, pay attention to this one. This one's really, really well done. I'm Simon the Rock, bondman and ambassador of Jesus Christ, and we're in this together. God's faith sees everyone equally valued and justified in Jesus Christ our Savior. God's desire is that we may now increasingly be overwhelmed with grace as his divine influence within us has become fully acquainted with the awareness of our oneness. The way he has always known us is now realized in Jesus our master. By his divine engineering, he gifted us with all that it takes to live life to the full, where our ordinary day-to-day lives mirror our devotion and romance with our Maker. His intimate knowledge of us introduces us to ourselves again and elevates us to a position where His original intention is clearly perceived. This is exactly what God always had in mind for us. Every one of His abundant and priceless promises pointed to our restored participation in our godly origin. This is His gift to us. In this fellowship, we have escaped the distorted influence of the corruption of cosmic greed. Now, the stage is set to display life's excellence. Explore the adventures of faith. Imagine the extreme dedication and focus of a conductor of music. How, would, how he would diligently equate himself with every individual voice in the choir, as well as the contribution of every specific instrument to follow the precise sound represented in every single note in order to give maximum credit to the original composition. This is exactly what it means to exhibit and partake of the divine nature. You are the choir conductor of your own life. Familiarize yourself with every ingredient of faith that unfolds. See there now elevated you are from and from within this position. Here you will realize your inner strength and how fully competent you are to prevail in patient perseverance in the midst of any contradiction. It is from within this place of enlightened perspective that meaningful devotion and worship ignite. In worship you'll find a genuine fondness for others. At the heart of everything that faith unfolds is the agape love of God. While you diligently rehearse the exact qualities of every divine attribute within you, the volume will rise. In ever-increasing gusto, Guarding you from being ineffective and barren in your knowledge of the Christ life displayed with such authority and eloquence in Jesus. If anyone feels that these things are absent in their life, they're not. Spiritual blindness and short-sightedness has only veiled them from you. This happens when you lose sight of your innocence. Therefore, I would encourage you, my fellow family, to make every immediate effort to become cemented in the knowledge of our original identity. <clears throat> revealed and confirmed in the lo- logic of God, fully engage these realities in your lifestyle, and you will never ever fail. Is that good? <clears throat> so that was written by Francois de Tois. He's got he's got a full uh, translation of the New Testament, and uh, I highly recommend it. But he's he's a uh, uh, master's doctorate. Of biblical languages and he's got a tremendous way to bring these things forth anyway we've talked last week about our English understanding of a passage like this can become legalistic really quickly right add to your faith knowledge to knowledge virtue virtue and and we think it's kind of a checklist of the things that we should do the way this is actually understood is that you become extremely familiar with who you are right because when you met Jesus he introduced you to yourself Because your identity is found in him. Only in union can you discover who you are. And then once you've discovered who you are, then you allow those things to produce what this passage is demanding, right? And in this passage, today particularly, we're talking about the word godliness. So it says, let your faith produce. Let who you are produce reverence. Mm. You okay? So that doesn't mean that you have to add a new set of rules to your life, that means you understand that you have now been found in the beloved and now the son's affection for his own father becomes yours. I don't like to to reduce things to like principles, but if I were to reduce this to a principle, don't do anything to the father that the son wouldn't do. That's what it would look like if you allowed your character to produce your reverence. You would never do anything to the father that the son wouldn't do. Is that all right? Ever think about that before? Because I'm not sure I have until just now. (laughs) Okay. So this isn't about a new set of rules. This is about looking glory in the face and understanding that face is a mirror I'm not making that up, 2 Corinthians 3. I'll probably read it to you in a moment. But what I want you to understand is that we moved from fear to reverence when he moved from law to love. And when he allowed us to come into union with his beloved son at no cost of, of yours, it's your original destination, it's your original identity. You are in him before the foundation of the world. Once you've discovered that, now that is, is enabled, that enables you to birth reverence. I want to show you something else. I wasn't planning on this, but go to First Timothy. There's this, this kingdom principle that seems to pervade every, every facet of life. It is, if it's true in heaven and then you implement it on earth, it has this way of transcending every principle possible. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Ooh, that doesn't sound right. It's because it's not. Hold on. Oh, that's because it's 2 Timothy. You guys stay where you're at. I'm in the wrong place. 1 Timothy 2, 2. Okay, Ready? I'm going to read verse 1. It says, Therefore I exhort you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, and, and intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all. You guys reading it? Oh, 1 Timothy 2.2. 2. Yeah, promise. I went to 2 Timothy also, that's why I was so confused. (laughs) I told you the right things, I went to the wrong things. Okay, I just just want to show you a a trick, okay? This isn't about, this isn't what the passage is about, but I want to show you what this looks like, okay? Um, It says that, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Right? Godliness, the word that we're talking about, Eusebia, is is the way that you approach God. Okay? And the word that they translate reverence is actually the opposite. I don't want to say it's the opposite. Um, Godliness is what you... Offer to God reverence. In this passage, is becoming worthy of that same thing. Does that make sense? Okay, so it would be it would be nice. Uh, how do I say this the right way? Um, what if we lived in a community where everyone revered one another? Right, reverence. Um, it was a response to love that produces Christ's nature in you. So the reverence that you offer to God causes you to live a lifestyle that is worthy of being revered. That's what this passage is saying, that the transcendence of the reverence that you offer becomes the reverence that you're worthy of. Okay? You get it because you're doing this thing again. <laughs> this, this is a transcendent principle First John, you don't have to go there, but under, like I, I showed this to a guy at a coffee, t- coffee table one time and it completely blew his mind, changed his life, right? So legalists love to pull that passage out of first John that says, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? It's not about grace. It's about behaviors, right? Did I do it right? <laughs> do I need to hoop at the end <laughs> <Yeah. Right. laughs> <laughs> here? The, literally the next line. says but we loved him because he first loved us right so reverence is the byproduct of love that was offered unconditionally right so we love him if we keep his commandments but keeping his commandments is actually the response to being loved unconditionally in the first place Right, So it doesn't start by gaining acceptance through your obedience. It's the fact that you were accepted in the beloved from before the foundation in the world. And once you come to the understanding that when you see him, you see you, then your characteristics change because the way you revere the Father now becomes the, the, the pedestal or the platform that you live from. And now people see you not doing anything to the Father that the Son wouldn't do to him either. It kind of puts you in a position of influence, doesn't it? People start to respect and revere the life that you've led. Makes you qualified for things. Does it make sense? Okay. Only got one thing to do before we shut her down. Actually, here, this is how this always goes. Those are today's notes. You're going to get Second Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7. Let me tell you a story before we get there, then we'll close with that. Uh, Shanda and I were at a conference eight years ago with uh, Guy Paye. Pay was just in Ohio last week. I don't know if you saw anything online. Did you, yeah, did you guys get to go see him? Oh, he's amazing, dude. Him and his wife Ilka are just larger than life. I think they're still going to 120 nations a year. Could you imagine traveling that much? Not for me, man. No way. But anyway, he's like nine foot tall, maybe like 6'10", but still. And his wife is 6'3". Her name's Ilka. Like, you can't be short and have that name. <laughs> you can't fit in that name unless you're a solid 6'3". But anyway, so my wife and I were there. I was playing guitar, and, and we, we took some of our, our team and leaders with us, and uh, we were waiting in line because I was at the lowest part Of my ministry, I had prayed for a young man that uh, that had spinal meningitis, that had two weeks to live. I prayed for him, and while I was there, he died. Takes the wind out of your sails real quick, right? So I was I was not mature enough to handle that kind of disappointment. And we get we we've got twenty people behind us, twenty people in front of us, and we're doing what you do, right? You want to talk to the pastor? Um, (laughs) So. We get to him, and before we say anything, he has no idea who we are. He says, "You guys want to go to dinner?" I'm like, um, yeah, yeah. If you want an earful, but he had his driver bring the car around. We met down at Applebee's, and uh, and he's like, "So how's it going?" I said, "Well, I'm I'm ready to hang it up. How are you?" he's like, what happened? And I told him the story. He's like, that just happened to me like five years ago. He said, I, I literally was flown to South America to pray for a, a dying kid who had two weeks to live. He said, I laid hands on him and boop, flatlined. I was like, what would you do? He's like, what do you think I did? I did the same thing you're doing. He said, I canceled my itinerary. I stopped reading my Bible. I started you know, having a, a little personal pity party that lasted forever. I'm like, so what happened? He said, I became a son. i like, tell me more. It's like, I realized that my performance never gained nor lost God's affection for me. And the moment that you realize that you're a son and no longer a slave, like that's in the Bible. You don't have to call yourself a slave of God. That's, that's dumb. And it's old covenant. He said, you literally, you're no longer a slave, but an heir, right? Because you are a son of God. So, so this happens. And all he does is introduces me to this language. That's all that happened. And when I realized that it was possible to step into sonship with the Father of the universe, the Creator of all, my life changed forever. And I was like, oh. So even if I preach a sucky sermon, still likes you, which (laughs) doesn't happen. Even. (laughs) I mean, we we agree on this. It used to before I learned that I was a son. Now, not on the table anymore. You mean I can mess up, you need, I can fear, I can fail, I can do all of these things and never once. Does my DNA change? Does the fact that I'm a blameless sinless son of God change? In the moment that he said those words, everything changed for me. I started getting more revelation while I slept than when I studied. I started seeing more healings because I walked in the room than I did whenever I prayed fervently over a sick person. Shanda and I were on the phone with our best friends. Their, their daughter was about to go into an ear surgery and all we said was, no, she's not. All we said, and I think we even actually typed it. We didn't even have to vocalize it. They took her in for surgery, and the doctor's like, well, I don't know what happened, but she's fine now. And when you're no longer under the, the bondage of pressure and slavery, things change. Hmm. That's when you make the switch from fear to reverence. God is not interested in any way. Listen, you are completely unpunishable. Do you like that? Yeah. Punishment is not in your future. All punishment is not part of the Father's <laughs> nature. You alright? you with me? So I stepped into this and I told my wife, my poor wife, man, she dealt with me when I was under the bondage of, of performance. We'd be at the YMCA. The YMCA would be packed out. We had amazing teams where like everything was hopping. We were the coolest thing in town and We'd leave, and I'm like, they're all going to leave. Shannon's like, oh, my God, why? Why now? <laughs> I'm like, because I suck. <laughs> like, oh, it was the worst thing ever. I'd preach and then be depressed for six and a half days and be like, I can do this. And then I'd do it again. I'd be like, nope, still suck. And then just <laughs> fall right back into that terrible cycle of performance. The day I became a son, I stopped caring what you think, and I knew that he already approved of me. Sons that are in love with their dad will always outperform slaves that are afraid of their master. Good? All right, 2 Corinthians 3. Chapter 7, verse 7. guys ready (laughs) i love this how many of you like the law of moses me neither is that an old country song Uh oh i'm sorry okay don't country is not music all right folks (laughs) hey i will die on that hill okay (laughs) second corinthians chapter three verse seven If the ministry of death, he's talking about country music here, written, (laughs) written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel couldn't look steadily at the face of Moses because the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Okay, so you guys realize that there was only one covenant that was written on stones, right? Do you know which one it was? Mosaic, right? The Ten Commandments that we've all revered. Paul calls it the ministry of death. He calls it the ministry of condemnation. He's like, if it it was glorious, even though it was passing away, what do you think the Spirit is going to look like? Mm -hmm. Now, let me make this make sense to you, because this this passage has often been misconstrued as kind of like a spiritual graduation process, right? Because you're transformed from glory to glory, right? And so many times people say that you're transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory, Like, like you keep getting better. Right? There is a, uh, how do I say this? Um, Falsehood concerning you getting better. Okay? And if you think that you're being transformed from something good to to something better, to something better, to something better, then you'll always believe that you're not perfect. And if you always believe that you're not perfect, you'll fall into, like, Not at any fault of your own. It's just the natural progression of things. You'll fall into the law of sin and death. The moment that you reach your hand out to partake of something that has already been partaken of for you by Christ, then you will die. So this passage is not about a spiritual graduation process. This is about stepping out of the glory of the old covenant to the glory of the ministry of the Spirit. And you're done. Right? There's no more glories after that. There's just two. You come out of the ministry of death into the ministry of life. Out of the ministry of condemnation into the ministry of justification once and for all. That's it, right? There is an error in progress. You don't have progress. You enter into the one that progressed and stepped into a finished work. Now the two became one. And because of the union, now union births reverence, worship, and intimacy. Get it? Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff. All right. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore... Since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, to put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Their minds were blinded. Until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on the heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, listen, with unveiled face, behold, in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Okay, let me give you the the groundwork to this. The word glory in the Greek word is doxa, D-O-X-A, and that 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 Greek understanding of that word, it had no characteristic within itself. It it was defined by the subject that it was referring to. Doxa means thoughts and opinions of. Okay, if you look it up in the the Greek language, doxa means thoughts and, and opinions of. So if you say the glory of God, it takes on the character of God, the nature of God, the thoughts and the opinions of God, and then the word glory becomes a good word, right? But if this is talking about the glory of the ministry of death or the glory of the ministry of condemnation, then it takes on the characteristic of the subject. So the glory that Moses was shining from his countenance was not good. Do you get it? More of this. Okay, so that means that that when Moses came to the bottom of the mountain, the reason that people fled from him and the reason that people had to, to, to look on his face only when it was veiled is because his countenance actually reflected death and condemnation. Okay? There was a, a gentleman in the New Testament that had a very similar experience. His name was Jesus. He was transfigured on the mount. He, he communed with the cloud of witnesses. He actually talked with Enoch and Elijah. And he was with his disciples. And his face started to glow. And guess what happened when his face started to glow? He started to to radiate with the ministry of righteousness in life. He just received the message that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And because he received that message, the doxa that he shone on his face was a message of approval and a message of inclusion. So everybody in every city started running to this light that he was shining. The ministry of death struck fear into the hearts of the children of israel the ministry of life struck reverence awe, in light of love when you allow this moment okay this moment is the moment that i've been talking about the entire time when you behold the glory of god i want you to might take you a little bit long you guys know how to use your front facing camera right okay that's our new mirror Mirrors are becoming kind of outdated, right? I don't know what happens if you break one of these, though. Is it still seven years? (laughs) Seven years of payments, not bad luck, right? So it says that you beheld the glory of the Lord in a mirror, okay? The glory of the Lord is Christ in humanity. And you're being transformed into that Same image. From glory, the old one, to glory, the new one. Just once, forever, just by the Spirit of the Lord. Stand with me. All right. caitlin what's the title of this message reverence thank you what did i tell you all it was godliness caitlin's right i'm wrong if you want to know what kind of texts i get while i'm standing up here it says asks for title pastor reverence gets to pulpit the title is godliness (laughs) sorry if you knew how much trouble i get in just by existing the the mystical and new creation community is so good at understanding union i never want our understanding of union to take away from the intimacy that we have with the father there is there is a perfection and here's here's something else that i want uh, this is kind of a i don't want to call it a shameless plug but i think i think what i've learned about distinction has come from my wife my wife is a professional counselor and she literally teaches people to be the unique expression of christ that god has set them here to be so understanding that we all have the same destiny we're all coming to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ but the beauty of the body of christ is that nobody can do or provide what anyone else can you are a unique expression of god as a matter of fact i think that's what we need to talk about and we're closing I heard Stephanie Gretzinger say one time that she, her, her biggest struggle in life was she had two fears, one that she was too much and the other is that she's not enough. It's an ex- that, that's a profound statement because all of the ladies that I talk to, like, am I too much? Am I not enough? How can you have both fears at the same time? Because you haven't embraced the fact that God made you, you. And he has not made you to be anyone else. He may have made you powerful. He may have made you passive. He may have made you introverted. He may have made you extroverted. If you go around comparing yourselves amongst yourselves, you will kill yourself because you will never be satisfied with who God created you, you to be. You are the fingerprint of the divine and there is absolutely no one else in the world that can contribute what you contribute. Ah. You made me cry, Bland. I saw you. Stop it. <sighs> All right. Um, I don't know what to do now. You guys want to be done? <laughs> no, <I'm> just... <laughs> this is what we should do now, okay? Um, you are the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And you not only get to reap the benefits of being one with the divine, you also get to be in in a divine romance with the very one that you were created in. And making sure that the two of those things are ever-present, you realize that the romance that you offer the Father is actually inspired by the character that you've been given by Him. You'll never have to guess what your Father wants. Holy smokes. Because the two are one. So you understand his heart, you have his mind. So the reverence that you offer him is actually just the organic outset of what your character has already produced. And when you offer the Father what he has given you, you'll never do to the Father what the Son would never do to the Father. And that reverence would produce a position of influence in your life. Because not only are you now reverent, you become honorable, honor-worthy. I want us all to understand. This is, this is one of the hardest things that I, I think we used to mention it every week, but one of the things that we do is we look around the church and we think everything's taken care of, right? If you're not doing it, it's not taken care of. If you're not being you to the utmost, then it's not taken care of because nobody can do what you do. Nobody. We can't replace you. That is the difficulty of understanding kingdom, kingdom union is because if you leave, we're hosed, man. Like, we can't replace you. <laughs> you're irreplaceable and that's what I want you to leave with today can I pray for you Father thank you so much for this understanding of divine union and divine distinction this, this hypostatic union that allows us to be one with you and in love with you Father, we thank you that the the partaking of the divine nature produces character, produces thoughts, produces attitudes in us, and only when we become short-sighted do we forget that those things are ours and abounding. Father, remove our short-sightedness, remove our blindness today. Father, let us look into that mirror and partake of your glory, and when we see us, we see you. When we see you, we see us, Father, and allow that union to be the, the, the nature that we operate from, not that we try to strive for. Father, we thank you for Legacy Church. I thank you for this incredible group of people, and we can't wait to see what you desire to do on Friday for the Brian Welch event. Father, we lift that event up before you right now. We ask that you come like a rushing wind. Let something happen here Friday that has never been seen in all history nor creation, Father. Let people come by the tens of thousands. We will find ways to get the word to them. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Give him a shout this morning. All right. You, um, hey, yeah, cut, hang out. We've got a secret to tell you. we got to cut the live stream. Let me know when it's cut.